All right, welcome everyone. I want to welcome everyone that's joining us online this morning, whether that's our Facebook Live page, whether it's our website, or if you're in overflow this morning in, in our Oakwood Chapel or somewhere in the concourse outside, thanks for joining us. Welcome this morning. And those of you that are here live, do me a favor, take out your Bible and turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be there in just a minute. We're going to read a lengthy section of Scripture. Please join me in reading that Scripture. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back pocket in front of you, or if you're up front under the seat, uh, or maybe you can look on with the person next to you, but we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 3 in just a moment, and I, I'd love you to pray with me this morning as we open up the Scriptures. Holy Spirit, we are completely dependent on you for the ability to understand this truth. I pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts and help us to, to understand what it is and then have a, have a game plan to apply it in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with everyone watching online or here live, and Holy Spirit, that you would minister to them. Uh, you'd pour out your grace upon their lives. Strengthen us today, Lord, to be everything you've called us to be in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are starting, this is a first for me. We're starting our Christmas series the first week of November, ne never ever done that before. It's always usually first week of December, but we're going to do a lengthy series leading up to Christmas. It's called Hidden Messiah. Hidden Messiah, I'll explain what that means in, in just a minute. I think online dating services are legit. I, I, I think for, for single people, uh, let me, let me quali qualify that. <laughs> I think they create opportunities to meet people that you would never have had an opportunity to meet before. And the thing is, you get information about that person before you actually have a, a contact, a physical contact with them. You, you see pictures of them, there's a profile, hopefully they told the truth in, in their profile, so you have an idea of who they are and what they look like so that when you, when you go and meet them at the restaurant or wherever your first date is, at the park or whatever, you, you see them and you go, yeah, yeah, I, th that's them. I, I know them, I, I've seen them before. And you know what, the Old Testament of the Bible is kind of like an online dating service. You, you didn't know that, did you? In, in the sense that uh, Jesus is revealed in, throughout the Old Testament. There are, there are pictures of him and there, his profile is in there. And, and the hope was that the Jews, when Jesus actually appeared and came in the flesh at Christmas, that they would recognize him because they've had all this information about what he's like. Or how many of you have ever been to Wall Drug out in Wall South? Just raise your hand. You've been to Wall Drug? Okay. If you're watching online and you don't know what Wall Drug is for, for some reason, um, what, <laughs> you're not from South Dakota. Wall Drug is a, is a really cool tourist stop kind of out in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota on Interstate 90. And the thing about, about Wall Drug is you, you get a feel for it before you even get there, right? I mean, you could be traveling on any interstate for the most part, and you're going to see how far it is, you're gonna, the donuts or the bomb. It's just kind of, there's just some great stuff out there. If you've never been to Wall Drug out there, you need to go. But, but you, you, you see these, these billboard ads all along the interstate, and they kind of get you excited about, about being there. And that's, again, what this series called Hidden Messiah is all about. We're going we're gonna to journey through the Old Testament, and we're going to look at, at signs and, and billboard ads of the coming of the Messiah. We're going to see that Jesus was, in fact, though hidden, also made known through the, the writings of the Old Testament. So we're going we're gonna, to, as we come to Christmas, when Jesus is revealed in the flesh, we're going to be getting a good idea of who he is before we even get there. So today, we're going to find Jesus in the Garden of Eden. All right, we're going to find Jesus today in the Garden of Eden. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're in Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis chapter 3, let me give you a little background. God has created everything, the heavens, the skies, the stars, the planets, and the earth, and everything in the earth. He's created vegetation, plants, he's created animals, birds, fish, everything, and he's also created humanity, male and female, in Adam and Eve. When we come to chapter 3, we're going we're gonna to experience the fall of humanity or the sin of Adam and Eve that left them in a difficult predicament. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he, the serpent, asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees in the garden? Let me stop there for a second. A talking snake, come on, Jeff. Like, really? Like, I'm not that dumb. Like, like whoever believed that a snake could talk to someone? Well, you know, there are critical scholars, liberal scholars, that believe, I had one of them in, in, in an Old Testament seminary class that believes, for the most part, all of the stories of the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, Jonah and the whale, Daniel and the lion's den, they, they are not factual in the sense that they didn't really happen. They teach true and biblical principles, but they, they never actually happened. So how do we deal with that as Christians if we believe that the Bible is God's word and if it says that there's a story, Jonah and the whale, did Jonah really go inside of a big fish? Did Eve really talk to a snake? So we go to the New Testament because the New Testament reveals everything and confirms everything that took place in the Old Testament. So when we get to the New Testament, here's what we find. We find Jesus referring to Jonah and the three days that he spent in the belly of the whale. We, we see other writers talking about Satan as a serpent in the garden. And we see these New Testament writers saying, not, not saying at any point in the New Testament, well, you know what, we need to, we need to take the, the principles of those stories, but the, the stories, they're just allegory. They're just parables. They're myths. They're fables. Nowhere in the New Testament does, does any writer say that the stories in the Old Testament were not true. So in this case, we go to the book of Revelation, the Apostle John. He says this concerning Satan, this great dragon. Now, the dragon was the symbol of Satan in the book of Revelation. This great dragon, now listen to what he said, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with his angels. The one who doing what? Deceiving the whole world, just like he deceived Eve in the garden. That, that, that serpent of old, the, the one who was originally in the garden in the form of a serpent, that, that's Satan. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, says this. He says to the church, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Now, Eve's a real person. We had to come from somewhere, right? He's confirming not only was Eve a real person, but this interaction between Eve and the deception that came from the serpent. And over and over, what we see in the New Testament is these writers confirming the truth of Old Testament stories. So we go on. Well, let me ask this. Why, why, why didn't, didn't Eve react a little more strangely when a snake talked to her. You're, when you read the Bible, do you ask these questions? Like a talking snake, really? And then wh wh why didn't she get freaked out when all of a sudden a snake is talking to her? Well, let me, let me remind you. She'd been alive a few days. <laughs> she, unlike you, she was born an adult. She, was all, she, she had no experience growing up. There, there was no National Geographic. There was no wild kingdom for her to watch. 
She's learning about the animal kingdom and God's wondrous kingdom as she, in a firsthand experience, goes out and sees it. So suddenly, she's, she's alive for the first time, and in one of the first few days, she sees a snake that speaks to her. She probably thought, cool, God makes really cool things, doesn't he? As she, as she begins to experience the wonder of God's creation. Now, this was, a, this was a satanic manifestation, Satan speaking through a snake. It wasn't something God created, but nonetheless, she's experiencing this for the very first time. So let's go on, verse, verse two. Of course we can eat fruit from the trees of the garden, Eve replied. It's only the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat from. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse four, Satan said, you won't die. Have you noticed his plans haven't changed? He, he still says that you can't trust God's word. God's a liar. He told you one thing, but, but he doesn't mean it. He, he's gonna do another. You, you can't, he twists God's word to get us from following it and believing it. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the thought of being a God was really tempting to Eve. Verse 6 says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and it looked, the fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. Or so she thought from the words of the serpent. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame. Not godliness like Satan had promised, but shame because of their nakedness. They'd never experienced that before. So they sewed fig leaves together to make clothes for themselves to cover themselves, to cover their shame. Verse eight, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord, they were ashamed. They hid from God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now skip down to verse 14. God is gonna pronounce a curse on Satan, curse on the serpent, and then he's gonna bring some judgment to Adam and Eve and everybody that follows them. In verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Verse 15, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So who is the offspring of the woman? Who's the offspring of Eve? In a very general sense, Eve is the mother of all nations, the mother of all people, so it's humanity. In a more restricted sense, in, in a more precise sense, it's God's people. And we see that in the book of Revelation. Uh, who, who is Satan's offspring? Uh, that would include all of the demons and evil and dark spiritual forces in the heavenly places, but also those that follow him. And so the idea here is there, there's going to be this cosmic battle going on between good and evil, between God and Satan through the generations. Um, it, it's not a fair conflict. It's not an equal battle. Satan and God are not equal foes, but nonetheless, there's a conflict between God and Satan, good, excuse me, good and evil. And, and then it says at the, the end of verse 15, and he, meaning now, now specifically one person who's the offspring of Eve, he will strike your head. Satan, uh, God is speaking to the serpent. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now this is the very first prophecy in the Bible concerning the Messiah. The, 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 the Messiah was going to come 
And, and eventually he was going to crush the head or crush the life or destroy Satan and all of his demons and all of his power that day was coming. It says that Satan, that the serpent, will, will bite the Messiah's heel. Now, to get struck or, or, or bitten by a snake, a venomous snake, would cause suffering and sickness. And so we see all of this really take place at the cross of Jesus Christ. When Satan inflicted suffering and pain on the Messiah and he was crucified and went through all of that horrendous suffering, but that wasn't the end of the story because through the resurrection, Jesus crushed Satan and all of his power, amen? So that prophecy really was fulfilled through the cross and the resurrection. Satan would inflict suffering on the Messiah, but the Messiah would step on the head or crush the power of the serpent. Skip down, if you would, with me to verse 20. After their sin, after their fall, it says, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. In other words, God killed an animal. We'll get to this a little bit later. And from their hide, from their skins, covered and clothed Adam and Eve. So, so where, what do we learn about Jesus in the Garden of Eden from that text. I wanna share four quick things with you this morning that I think we learn about Jesus in the Garden of Eden. And the first is this, he, he comes to us in our sin. He comes to us in our sin. Verses eight and nine. When the cool evening breezes were blowing in the cool of the day, the, the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. God stepped into the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Notice that, that God doesn't run away from their mess. He runs to their mess. He steps into the mess that Adam and Eve had created for their lives. God in this, in this story steps into the garden and he's searching for lost Adam and Eve. It's a picture of Jesus. Jesus steps into the world and he searches for lost humanity like a shepherd searching for lost sheep, searching for you and searching for me. In this story, God steps into the garden and he calls Adam and Eve out of their darkness. Remember, they were hiding among the, the shadow of the trees. And he calls them out of their darkness. And it's a picture of Jesus stepping into the world in the form of a man and calling humanity out of its darkness and sin, you and me. He calls us out. And the thing about this is that it's not so much that, that we pursue God, but that God pursues us in our mess. Whatever failure, whatever mess you find yourself in, God, God doesn't walk away from that. God steps into that. Why is it that so many people make a decision to follow Christ, or <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> or to turn their life over to Christ when they're in crisis, when, the, when they're in the midst of some kind of failure, when they're going through a really difficult time? I had a friend in California that, that his wife just up and left him. He, he didn't see it coming. And, and it was in the midst of that event and the pain that followed that he turned his life over to Christ. Why is it that, that you can be going through the most painful situation in your life and at that point suddenly you, you discover Christ? 
Or maybe you're dealing with, with an addiction or, or, or some sin that, that is, is just causing affliction in your life. Or, or maybe it's, it's after a moral failure. You're at the lowest point of your life. Or, or maybe it's the result of grief or loss. Someone that you love deeply died and you're struggling in your grief and sorrow. Or maybe it's, it's, it's in the midst of, of sickness or disease or physical suffering or emotional suffering. Why do people in those points of crisis come to Christ? Because in our greatest mess and our greatest pain, Jesus shows up. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know, I don't know what horrific circumstances you may be involved. I do know this. God is stepping into that right now. And God is with you in the mess. He doesn't run from it. He runs, he runs to it. I, I love this song by... Uh, Zach Williams and Dolly Parton, it's called There Was Jesus. How many know, you know that song? And if I had a cool raspy voice like Zach Williams, I'd sing it to you right now, but I'm going I'm to spare you and I'm just going to read it. Some of the verses, when the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus in the midst in the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, in the hurting. Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces, every minute, every moment, where I've been or where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. I love that because it speaks to the fact that, that God is always there. And, and it's, again, it's not so much that, that we are pursuing God. It's not so much that we find God. It's more that God finds us. Parents, if you have children that are, that are not walking with the Lord, man, my heart breaks for you. It really does. And we need to continue to pray that, they, that they'd come to their senses. But here's the comforting part of that story. God is pursuing them. God is seeking them. God, God is going to find them. And as he does, whatever they're dealing with, hopefully they'll turn and surrender their lives to him. He comes to us in our sin, but, but he does more than that. He cares for us in our sin. He cares for us in our sin. Verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So they sin and God then kills an animal, drains its blood, takes its skin, and makes clothing for Adam and Eve. God provides two things through the death of this animal. The first is he provides for their physical needs. He makes clothing. He knows that they need clothing to survive in their life. The second thing is God provided for their spiritual needs. I'll talk about this in just a minute, but the, but the shedding of, of the blood of the animal provided forgiveness for Adam and Eve. We'll get to that one in just a second. But God, God's love didn't stop because they messed up. God's love didn't stop because they failed miserably. God still cared about them. God still provided for them. God, God still reached out to them and, and met their needs. This one's hard for me. I, I don't know about you. There, there, are, there are certain sins that people can commit that people can commit that are harder for me than others. Maybe you're like that too. Some sins I just kind of overlook 
they don't bother me. And there's other sins that kind of bother me. And, and those sins make it difficult for me to be gracious, more difficult to extend care and kindness and love and grace into their lives. Maybe there's some, some things, some sins that bother you more than others. And I struggle with that because I'm, I'm trying to manage this tension because I don't want to enable people to sin. I don't want to empower them to continue in a lifestyle of sin. I, I want to be wise with that. And, and, and so I, I feel my own reservation to care. And then I look at this story. And I see how God cares. They basically just gave God the middle finger. They basically just said to God, we're, we're going we're to follow our own life. We, we don't want you anymore. And God's love didn't change. Not only did his love not change, but he, he met their, their needs. That, that love is amazing to me. And so that's why Romans 5.8 says this, God, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It, it was in that place of failure, moral failure. It was in that place of sin and a mess that God continued to love them and provide for their needs. So I, I don't know about you, I walk with this tension of wanting to care for people and care for their needs and help them, but, but not empower them to, or enable them to keep sinning. And so, so how do I withhold things and yet care for them? So my wife and I were with a couple on Friday night and we were eight downtown and we were walking after dinner on Phillips Avenue and we, we came across a homeless woman sitting with a sign asking for help. And so like you, maybe, I, I engaged her and, and asked her if she had a place to stay, where she was staying and what, what was going on in her life. And by appearance and smell, she was inebriated. She'd been drinking. And she began to tell her story. She wanted a, a bus ticket to get home, right? And it cost, you know, this much money. And I shared with her that we have, we have, a, we have a church campus just a couple of blocks from where she was, a downtown campus. And I think they could get her a bus ticket. I, I think they would help her out with a bus ticket if she really wanted help. And, and, and Bill Shepard was the pastor there. My wife took her sign and flipped it over. On the back of her sign, she wrote down, Pastor Bill, here's the address. Here's how you go to find help at that particular church. And we, and we gave that to her. And, and then, then I've got that internal battle going on. What, what else do I do? Do I, do I give her money? And I felt compelled to do that. I mean, it was obvious she didn't have a lot of her physical needs being met. And so I, I, I gave her some cash and we, we, we talked for another minute and then, and then we left. Did, did she spend the money on what she should have spent the money on? I, I don't know. I, I, I'd say probably not. Chances are probably not. And yet I've got this war going on inside of me saying, I, I have a responsibility to be like God, to care for people no matter how I think she got there, no matter how critical my spirit is to say she got there by choices or, or whatever, God didn't say that to Adam and Eve. He stepped into their mess. He stepped into their brokenness and made sure they had what they needed for life. And somehow I have to follow that example. Jesus cares for us in, even in our sin and failure. He not only comes to us in our sin and not only cares for us in our sin, but he covers us in our sin. He covers us in our sin. Again, verse 21. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. 
Now, in God's economy, the way God set things up, if the guilty were going to be set free or made innocent, there had to be a substitute, uh, an innocent life given on behalf of the guilty. And that's why throughout the Old Testament there's animal sacrifice because an, an innocent uh, animal was killed, its blood was drained on behalf of the guilty person that brought it. God said without death and the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That was God's economy that he set up from the very beginning in the garden. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified or consecrated or made holy with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no what? There's no forgiveness in God's economy. So, so we cannot be forgiven unless an innocent life is, is killed. And so this is the first picture of the cross in the Old Testament where, where God sacrifices an animal, he pours its blood out, he takes its flesh and its skin and he covers Adam and Eve. It symbolizes in the, in the shedding of blood the forgiveness of their sin and in the covering of their lives with the skin, the covering of sin and guilt and shame. Remember, they felt shame because of their nakedness. So God takes care of that shame through the shedding of the animal, the, the blood of the animal. And symbolically, Jesus Christ is the animal slain in the Garden of Eden for the remission of sin. He covers us in our sin. So I want to read Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 26 to you. And he, Paul expounds on this a little bit. Here's what he says. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's perfect, glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right or acceptable in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins by dying on the cross. How were our sins forgiven? Through Christ at the cross. No other means. There was no other way our sin was going to be forgiven in God's economy unless the innocent died for the guilty. And Jesus Christ was the, the animal that had been told throughout the Old Testament. He's the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life and shed his blood. This sacrifice, the cross, shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past, Old Testament. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. In other words, in the Old Testament, God was giving these signs and these pictures of, of death, animals being sacrificed, and it pointed ahead to the cross. It was the billboard ads all along the highway that one was coming, an innocent one was coming that would die on behalf of your sins. So anybody in the Old Testament that looked at the animal sacrifice and believed what God said about it and believed that the Messiah was coming, they were saved, they were made right with God by looking ahead to the cross and having faith. We now look back on the cross and we are saved as we look back on the cross and believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died on the cross to forgive our sins and to wash us and cleanse us. There is, friends, there's no other way to, to be saved. 
Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of sacrifices. There's no more sacrifices that need to be made after Jesus died on the cross. He's the one that you have to believe in. That's the message. That's the hope. There's life in Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross. So my question is, like Adam and Eve in the garden, are you covered in the blood and the flesh of Christ who died for you on the cross? See, he comes to us in our sin, and he cares for us in our sin, and he covers us in our sin, but he also completes us in our sin. He makes us whole. He restores us. He makes us adequate. We're going to read verse 7, and then we're going to read verse 21. Verse 7 says this, at that moment, after they ate the fruit and sinned and felt shame, their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Okay, now let's go to verse 21. What did God do? God knew that that wasn't adequate. So God killed an animal, shed its blood, made clothing from the animal skins to cover Adam and his wife. So Adam and Eve came up with their own plan. Hey, we blew it. We sinned. So if if we want to be right with God, we're going to find a way to cover our our nakedness and our shame. So they made, she made a a fig leaf bikini and a Speedo for her husband out of fig leaves. I don't know what they made, but that that we're good. Through our own effort, through our own ingenuity, we're going to cover our sin. they, They felt like in some way that would make them right with God. But the reality, friends, is that there's nothing, nothing you can do through human effort, trying really hard, being a good person, trying to do good things that ever sufficiently, adequately covers your sin. They, 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 they thought that a, a fig leaf apron could do it, and God said, no, you need, you need a fur coat. A, a fur coat is what's going to complete you, not, not you coming up with a plan. And so Isaiah speaks about that in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 20. Anytime we try to, with our own human strength or ingenuity, make up for our sin, he says it's like this. The bed you've made is too short to lie on, and the blankets are too narrow to cover you. It's never enough. You come up empty, inadequate, short, incomplete. Anytime you try to find acceptance with God apart from Jesus Christ, it doesn't work. But, but, but let me give you another application to this truth. You know, they, they tried to come up with a plan that would work for their life. And, and sometimes we do the same thing. God gives us a plan, but we have a better one. God says you need a fur coat, and we say, no, we're going to, we'll be good with fig leaves. Have you, ever, have you ever substituted God's plan for your plan? Have you ever said, you know, God, I get that you said that's what we're supposed to do, but, but I'm going to choose this instead. So God, God has given us this wonderful gift called sex. It's a gift that he intended for those that had already made a lifelong commitment in marriage to, to one another between a man and a woman. It's a gift to bless a lifelong commitment. And we come along and we say, well, that's a good idea but we're gonna do it a little differently. See, 
we think that we need to have sex in order to determine if we should make a lifelong commitment. So we're gonna live together and we're gonna have sex so that we can decide if a lifelong commitment is really what we want to do. Fig leaves instead of a fur coat. God's given us a plan. When God created each one of us, he created us with a beautiful and unique gender identity. Wonderful. It's part of the beauty of who you are, male or female. It's part of your destiny. It's part of the wonder of God's plan for your life. Woven into the fabric of who you are and what you are going to become is is gender. And we come along and we have better ideas than God. We're going to change that. I'm going to choose the identity that I think is best for me. I'm going to choose that gender for myself. And and God, I know that you at birth sort of said this is my gender, but I'm going to choose an alternate plan. And we we wonder why in these situations our life is, is just never complete. Fig leaves instead of a fur coat. Do you know what the New Testament says? The New Testament says that that as Christians, we are to to gather together every week with Christians to worship God. Did you know that? Hebrews says, don't don't ignore the the call to gather together as believers. Paul actually says in in Corinthians, he says, on the first day of the week, bring your offering and come together and gather and worship on on the first day of the week. We're We're supposed to worship weekly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we say, I've got a better plan. I will do that if I'm not too busy. I will do that if I'm not too tired. I I will do that if the kids don't have activities on that weekend. I I will do that if it's convenient. I will do it if, if, if. And we, we come up with a better plan. God says, I want you to gather on a weekly basis with fellow followers of Christ to worship, to encourage, to bless one another. And we have an alternate plan, fig leaves, instead of a fur coat. You know what else God says? God says, I want you to bring a full 10% of everything you earn. I I know this is getting ouch. I know this is getting a little hard here, but God said, I want you to bring a full 10% of everything you earn, and I want you to give it at the place that you worship. In the Old Testament, it says, I want you to bring the full tithe into the storehouse, the the place that you come to worship and offer your sacrifices, that place. God says, bring that, that, that full 10% into the place that you worship. And we say, well, we have a better plan. And for some, the better plan is giving nothing at all. For some, the better plan is not giving nearly 10%. And for others, it's just giving it, you know, when I see a homeless lady. Well, those are good offerings, but that's not what God said. And, and we wonder why we're, we're never quite complete. We're never quite where we should be. With God, and, and, and you can go on and on with what, what God's plan is, and we, we come up with a better one, fig leaves instead of a fur coat. But this problem's not new. It's not new to our generation. This has been going on since the beginning of time, where, where people have substituted their plan, uh, God's plan for their plan. In, in, the, in the days when they were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, the, the prophet Haggai addresses the people and, he, and they were supposed to give of their own personal finances. They were to give offerings to finance the rebuilding of the temple. And they weren't doing it. And here's what Haggai says to them. 
the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. He says, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? You're good at spending money on your own house. You're building brand new homes and they're gorgeous and beautiful, but you're not investing in my house. You're investing in your kingdom, but you're not investing in my kingdom. Why does my house lie in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You, you eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your, your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets or purses filled with holes. We just never get there. Maybe we're not getting there because we're substituting God's plan with our plan in any area of life. Maybe it just feels like we're incomplete. Maybe you and I, maybe we are settling for fig leaves instead of a fur coat. Maybe God has way more for us than we could ever imagine. And maybe it's the difference between trusting God and obeying his plan and doing what we think is best and ignoring his plan. So I don't know where you are today in your walk with Christ, but this series is about seeing Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And today we talked about the Garden of Eden, identifying Jesus as the one who, who comes to us in the midst of mess, who cares for us, doesn't withhold his love or care from us even though we fail, who covers us with his sacrifice on the cross, forgives our sin and removes our shame. And then the one who completes us, gives us the life we've always wanted, a life of fullness and joy and hope. If you're here this morning and you've never, you've never surrendered your heart to Christ, you, you've never accepted the gift of life, eternal life that he offers to you through his death on the cross, I invite you to receive that today. Would everybody bow your heads with me, if you would, just for a moment? And if that's you this morning, would you just be honest with God in your heart and say, Lord, I've messed my life up. I've sinned. I know that I'm separated from you because of my sin. But I, I look at this story, Lord, and I realize there's hope. I can have my sins forgiven. I can have my shame covered if I put my trust in Christ. So I do that right now. Lord, forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. Wash me clean. And Lord, save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Confirm the decision I'm making right now by giving me your presence, changing me and making me a new person. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? Most of you have already made that decision. Most of you are already Christ followers. What, what, what does it mean for us today? How are you managing the tension in your life about caring for people that maybe are sinning in a way that bothers you? How are you wrestling with helping people but not enabling them to continue in a life of sin? Are you struggling with that? How does this story help you? Are you following a plan that's your plan, but it's not God's plan? Maybe today's the day that you're willing to lay aside the fig leaves and put on the coat that God has for your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning for your grace and love. 
Thank you for the, the pictures we have of you in the Garden of Eden, one of love, care, sacrifice. Thank you that you gave your life for us. And now, Lord, we pray as we head into a new week, Lord, that you would enable us to follow your plan as you reveal it to us, to be obedient to your word. Lord, that we might be made complete and whole in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. As you leave this morning, just a couple of quick thoughts. If you have a, a prayer request on a card, you can drop that in the box. Second thing is, this is our weekend to receive a benevolent offering. So if you could, if you could again, kind of talking about you know, giving to those that have need. If you can put anything in the buckets on the way out, that would be greatly appreciated. And what was the third thing? Oh, if you need prayer this morning, if you made a decision to follow Christ, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Come forward, and we're going to have people up here that will pray with you and, and share with you what it means to be a Christian. Or if you have any need in your life, crisis, mess, and you'd like someone to pray with you today, we've got folks that would love to take just a couple of minutes and agree with you in prayer. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.